0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Delete. This is the podcast that talks about creativity, our relationship with the internet and stories about being human. So today's guest is Cathy Rensen Brink. She's a brilliant author, born in Cornwall, grew up in Yorkshire and she now lives in London where she works as a writer and a journalist. She's the author of the Sunday Times bestselling memoir, The Last Act of Love, which was shortlisted for the Welcome Book Prize last year and one of my personal favourite memoirs of last year. It tells the story of Kathy and her family coming to terms with a horrific accident involving her younger brother, Matty, and the heartbreaking aftermath of what happened. It deals with grief, heartbreak, family, and the human experience of dealing with something awful that changes your life forever. Her second book is out now. It's called A Manual for Heartache. It's taking her experiences told in the first book and it gives practical tips to readers. In this book she describes how she learnt to live with grief and loss and how to find joy in the world again. She explores how to cope with life at its most difficult and overwhelming and it's really a book that will help soothe an aching heart and assure its readers that they're not alone. So I hope you enjoy this episode I talked to Kathy about um, all of those topics about writing about grief about helping other people who are going through a really tough time and yeah I hope you enjoy this very honest conversation here it is Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, Kathy. It's a great pleasure to be here with you. Just did the creepy fangirl thing where I was like, <laughs> I love your books so much, you're amazing, you're amazing. So I'm glad I've got that out of the way. It's always a bit like restraining order for you. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to start by saying that I loved your first book. Thank you. It stayed with me for a long time. And this book is so different, but still along the same theme. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you firstly, um, How was it different from writing the first one? I can imagine putting it down on paper, this one was different. Mm -hmm. I read somewhere, I think, that you had spent two years writing your memoir, which is incredibly vivid and moving and I feel like everyone's like sitting around a campfire listening to your story whereas
1: this one I feel like I'm in the pub with
0: you ah, and you're chatting to good. me.
1: That sort of is the plan with the second one. I suppose the main difference is in intention. So with my first book it, it sort of slightly is an accidental book. I didn't really mean for it to be a book. When I started writing it my intention was just to sort of write it down for myself and put it in a drawer and I hoped that writing it down would liberate me to be able to write novels which is what I really wanted Mm. to do and the problem was I'd start writing a novel and then real life would sort of intrude on the page and uh, and that kind of kept happening so a writer friend said I should just write down the sort of the true story um and when I started doing it it was just really with the idea that I'd then put that in a drawer and gradually it kind of changed into something else but Mm. it was a long time before I thought anyone might read it and um, I still feel almost a bit confused and surprised that people mm. do and that people and so like, And so many people have read it's, it. Yeah, and I love it when, and people often say to me about my first book, they say they found it very helpful. And of course I'm very pleased about that for them, but it's, I find it confusing for me. I don't really understand how it is. But with my second book, it was my intention to mm-hmm. be helpful. So my first book is a kind of—it's very clearly to me—it's a memoir. It's also a memoir that was never really supposed to be a book, but then turned into one. Mm-hmm. But it's very clearly a memoir. It's me trying to make sense of what happened to me, and it's my story. Um, well, it's the story of my brother, but it's really about me witnessing that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the second book. Um, is in intention entirely different I wrote it with the intention to try to create something that could be a little bit helpful a little bit consoling when someone was really struggling Mm. kind of for whatever reason yeah and And did it
0: come out of
1: some of the events
0: that you did people talking to you and was it almost like okay I'm going to put all of the things that maybe not advice but just helpful bits of the conversation and put it in a book.
1: Yes, what happened was when so you know so I wrote this this first book which I really didn't think was just sort of my misery and then so many people responded to it and that really helped me to see how much we've got in common. Mm-hmm. I really had thought that my story was very much about me and then a little bit as I wrote it but but mainly af- afterwards talking to people afterwards I realized that actually it's just it's just It's much more universal than that really Mm -hmm. and I came to see in quite a helpful way I think, helpful way for me and it continues to be helpful whenever i become uh, overwhelmed it's such a helpful step to be able to think hang on a second i think this is all about me but maybe it isn't <laughs> yeah and i realized that so much of what i'd experienced wasn't even really about my brother and wasn't about me it was about it was about people and it's mm. about how people respond when bad things happen
0: yeah that is so true it's so universal because you do open with like you know whatever's happened to you it could be that your husband's left you it could be that you know someone's died it could be i think what what else did you say like someone has stolen your handbag like these feelings where you just feel like you're the only one in the world experiencing that feeling at that time
1: yeah and what kind of when things don't go your way and mm. it feels unfair and and i think actually that moment can re- can range from from the fairly trivial that you mm. might get over quite quickly um to awful and life altering mm. but but the, but the moment has quite a lot in common with other with other moments, yeah. And they, and then therefore there are helpful ways to think and sort of less helpful ways mm. to think. And I wanted to take a look at them.
0: One thing it really made me more aware of is you open with this uh, the, the backstory that everyone mm. has, and actually it's really funny because you said you're going to Oxford tomorrow, Blackwells, and we met quite f- well. We kind of crossed paths like mm. quite a few years ago at um, an event about Marina Keegan's book, and I almost felt bad because I kind of thought oh that's Kathy like she's so brilliant in the book world she's so <laughs> fat like fabulous and got all this stuff going on and like look at her and her amazing life which we do about mm-hmm. everyone and I just kind of thought I make those assumptions about people all the time and I know that not everyone wants to kind of tell you their backstory straight away but it just made me think you can't judge someone's life from the outside.
1: No I think it's always safer to assume that someone has a significant story because actually everyone
0: does. Everyone has, yeah.
1: And you never know. I mean, I still do it, especially, um, especially when I perceive people to be, you know, really elegant and beautiful or a lot cleverer than I... You know, basically, if my own imposter syndrome starts kicking off, then I'm very yeah. quick to think that other people in some way have things easy or are sorted. And you know what? As soon as you get to know someone well and they tell you what their life is actually like, it's yeah. so often not like how they sort of have to present it you know especially when you know people professionally it's not mm. always appropriate to sit down on the floor and wail <laughs> <laughs> very true but lots of people who look like they're moving through life with great ease and with little effort you know then they're, they're not mm.
0: and it's I love the bit kind of why you do talk about the internet um in one of the chapters just about how if you feel like you're projecting something that doesn't feel quite true mm. and you know you get that icky feeling where you're like I'm definitely presenting this idea that I'm having a great day when I'm not mm. I know that sometimes it's tempting to do that because it can make yourself feel better but um that really resonated with me actually yeah to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and kind of it's okay
1: to have a bad day I think that so for me with the internet it's not that I want to present a false image it's that I've never been able to for, for me and I'm not judging anybody who does I'm not able I, If if I'm starting to feel depressed or if i feel miserable i'm not able to say that on twitter Mm. it might seem ridiculous because i write long i write books about it Mm. and i'm able on twitter to say i'm going to this shop to talk about my book and i'm just about though it's difficult i'm just about able on twitter to retweet a long-form narrative piece or an interview i've done but i can't like in real time it doesn't work for me to say uh well again I don't even know I don't know how I would even try and put it into a tweet yeah so I don't do that so for me social media is always partial and it's always the good stuff mm-hmm. and I kind of think that's probably as it should be but then therefore I'm always aware that if only yeah. if only if anybody only knows that then they don't know the they don't know the other side I think mm-hmm. this is really true with kids so I really love my son but I think having children is really hard. I, mean, I don't think anybody tells you it's going to be hard, and then there's lots of complex reasons why it is hard, and also again why you then don't feel you want to talk about. You know, it's not mm. an easy thing to talk about. So, what you tend to do, and I do this, I used to do this all the time, is you uh, you know, tweet the picture of them looking really cute in their, I don't know, dragon costume or whatever, and then you don't tweet or Facebook any of the stuff about. You know, the. I mean, there was a whole period of probably about a couple of years where I sobbed at least. At least, like, m- like a lot of Sundays were taken up at one end of the day or the other with me crying about what a useless mother I was. But, of course, that never got anywhere. And kind of rightly so, because the world, I don't think, is yeah. not strengthened by me breaking, you know, by me showing that to anyone at that stage. But that, I think, is the slight problem, because then all the other mothers... who cry every Sunday morning (laughs) over the homework. (laughs) It's it's kind of like you don't necessarily know that everybody's doing that.
0: Yeah, and that's it. It's kind of just the being aware of it and taking it with a pinch of salt, I guess. It's just funny, like the human mind. I feel like we see a picture Mm -hmm. and then we kind of make up a story around a visual image. Like, oh, that's their day. Whereas actually, it's so true. And actually, I've got a friend of mine who had a really bad time um, a while ago. She, She was depressed and everyone was like oh well
1: her instagram looks fine and i was like yeah. well that's
0: it you, you that's not exactly what she's going it through." it doesn't
1: yeah because the one thing doesn't necessarily follow the other and i definitely think if i'm having any sort of authenticity issues which i do uh, again my depression seems to be linked to identity struggles so in that case again i start feeling very peculiar there's a time when It wasn't long, I think, after my first book had come out and it was really confusing to be... You know, I was in bed with my laptop feeling like a terrible mess. I did that thing where you press the wrong button Mm. and suddenly the screen is full of my own face (laughs) looking really... I mean, looking really dreadful (laughs) and sort of crazy and awful and ill. But at the same time, I'm looking at pictures on Twitter from, like, the night before. I look amazing. I look fabulous. Who is that woman? Everybody's telling me how brave brave and amazing I am and I feel like... Death, you know, and I don't know how to link those things together. And there's this particular moment where I saw this picture of me, and I looked fabulous, and I have no memory still of when this picture was taken or why or what, because I don't, I, I don't remember anything about the context, and yeah. I look so great. And to kind of be, it, it's that thing where I'm just sort of like looking from the one state of affairs to the other, and not being able to quite work out what's real. So yeah. I think that that kind of thing can be a bit, bit tricky. I do, I try and put my phone down if I start feeling a bit, if I start. Frazzling. If I start splintering up a bit, then I, then I think it's quite important to, um, I don't know, reduce the dimensions mm. in which you're having to operate yes. <laughs> until you've stuck yourself back together a bit more. I suppose. Yeah, I love that bit about um,
0: like personal triggers mm. because I felt like a bit of an idiot this weekend where um, I went to watch Planet of the Apes, the new one, and I didn't really want to go, but my boyfriend went to go and I was, uh, went to see it, and so I thought I'll just go with you. It's fine. And I'd already been feeling really anxious that day and I kind of didn't want to read too much of the news and I was just feeling really heightened and kind of like, ugh. And literally this film is three hours of people just like shooting each other, blowing each other up. And I came out kind of really not in a good state. Like I was shaking and I was like, God, I'm really embarrassed. I can't even watch this film, this action film without feeling anxious. And, um, but that was a trigger for me that night. And it was kind of, As soon as I said it, I didn't feel silly anymore. I just felt like this is just what's happening. Um, So that bit really resonated as well. Um, But do you find that a lot of it as well, it feels like learnings from hindsight? Like we don't know things until we've lived it. Because you've got the letter to yourself, the letter to your son. I thought those were so moving and, and amazing because you didn't know it.
1: Them. No, that's true, and I think it's interesting, isn't it? No, to none a certain of it, do. extent, we can't know it, and I think one of the oh, one of the things really about life is to is sort of to almost accept that of course we don't know it, and actually yeah. life is a journey from innocence to experience. Mm. But of course, I do think that um, it's, it's kind of like what we're surrounded with now is is more the idea that actually happiness is only around the corner; it's only a purchase away, isn't mm. it? Happy, <laughs> happiness is only one perfect wedding or one relaxing holiday mm. or whatever and we're, we we that is the modern view of things and mm. I think it's just not true and it's very difficult to see and of course part of what I wanted to do in my second book actually because one of the questions people asked me a lot was could anything have been different you know did you have to be in this much of a mess for so long mm. and actually I don't think I did and I think there were various intervention points where I can see now actually if somebody had told me this at that stage or if I'd had the right kind of therapy at that stage or if I'd not done that but had done something a bit more like this and I think that is helpful to share because whilst we can't we can't save ourselves or our kids or our friends from pain you know like if you love someone and they die that's going to hurt a lot mm-hmm. but actually we don't have to endure it alone other people have walked the path and I think that that, that for me is the important difference you know to realise we can't fix anyone we can't take away what they're experiencing but people don't have to go through it alone I'm so pleased when you Mm -hmm. said that reading this book feels like being with me in the pub or on the sofa Mm. because that's what I just I just wanted to that's kind of what I was aiming for not sort of like I know all the answers Mm. I'm so wise not sort of you know 10 bullet points to get you over losing the love of your life nothing like that Mm. just sort of look I know this really horrible shitty thing has happened to you um but I'm just kind of this is just a little handhold in mm-hmm. the in the situation and that's i think that's exactly what it is, that's yeah. kind of what i was aiming for and i think it is you know and hopefully that is a helpful thing to try to do i really loved that there isn't kind of expert person
0: like you haven't used any kind of outside research like you, well mm-hmm. it has impacted some of it but it's not you haven't kind of name dropped advice here and advice there it's it's all from your lived personal experience yeah. and i thought that's what I loved about
1: it as well oh well that's good because that was a possibility you know Mm. I thought about writing a more sort of you know the sort of book that comes with footnotes Mm. and and maybe like just interviewing other people you know interviewing various people but actually it then never seemed particularly right or particularly my way of my way of doing it it was much more difficult to write than I thought Mm. and you know it's really short and it's really simple but to try to get the tone right, I I wanted it to be broad, as in I didn't want it to be... When I worked in a bookshop, there was always, you know, there was a shelf of books for getting divorced and a shelf of books for when someone dies Mm. and a shelf of books for when you get various ailments and all this stuff. And what I felt I learnt, really, from writing my first book, which is that, that actually, the specifics of what have happened are really less relevant than what it feels and what you do. Mm. And that's kind of what I wanted to... So I I didn't want to go into that too much, somebody said to me the other day like oh did you think about writing a bit about this or a bit about that or a bit about the other and I said yeah, I thought about doing all those things and some of those things I have written, thousands of words on alcohol, (laughs) loads of words on being a parent um, loads of other things you know, I went into more detail about some of the other things that have happened to me that would come under the broad heading of um adverse life events but i sort of took them all out i was mm. trying to get away from being specific and towards just um trying to be friendly i like yeah. the word friendly someone i really like that someone said it's a friendly book
0: it is and i feel like for that reason um i want to give it as a gift to a few people and i and i like that the intro is kind of like take what you want from this yes. and if there's something that doesn't resonate move past it mm-hmm. I don't have I'm not going to fix everything basically mm-hmm. like no book can and you say that at the beginning and I think that's great because if something was too
1: prescriptive and, and and very narrow I'd be really scared to give it to someone yeah I wonder whether you know I think there'd have been times in my life when I probably wouldn't have liked this book very much because I wasn't ready mm-hmm. you know but then I hope I hope even if that might have been what I'd worried about maybe this might have broken through you mm-hmm. know but I've, the lots of advice I do give in this book or things I suggest uh you know, they've been suggested to me at times, and I've mm. just thought, you know, no no chance, mm. go away. <laughs> yeah, <fair. laughs> but But of course you become... It's at what, what point you feel ready to do things in a bit of a different
0: way. Yeah. The what not to say stuff's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, is all of that from things people have said to you in the past, or is it from things that other people have told you?
1: Sort of a bit of both, really, because once I started saying... Um, I mean, people do say very peculiar things to you when you're mm. suffering, and I do think in general... Um, like, I mean, I think it's just quite wise to keep your own personal belief system out of offering comfort to someone else, mm. you know? God read- would not give you more than you can handle. I don't think that's... Oh. A, I don't think... Well, of course, it is comfort... If, if if that's what your belief is, and if you know the person you're speaking to has the same belief, that might be a comfort. But mm. I think it's very difficult... Th- I think it's very hard in a situation that has that appears to you to have no meaning mm-hmm. for someone else to try to ascribe meaning to it. So any anything, yeah. you know, uh, every, like, everything happens for a reason. Uh, that's such an interesting one. I was talking to this really nice woman after an event and we were saying about how, you know, if you can believe everything happens for a reason, it's a really good belief. It sort of works up to a point. You know, if you can believe that you didn't get the job because everything happens for a reason, if you can believe that the rubbishy boyfriend leaves you before you buy the flat together, that everything mm. happens for a reason, that's quite sensible. But if you're, if the person you most love in the world is dead because of some awful act of random violence, then everything happens for a reason breaks down. Mm. And I think trying to find meaning and purpose th- then and offer it to someone isn't a helpful thing to do. No. Um, but of course I do also now feel I can see... I don't feel angry with any of those people who... I mean, at the time, I often felt angry with people who I thought had said offensive and stupid things, and I just now see that I was, I was in an angry place. Mm. So as I now see that they were actually more quite well-meaning and people... I'm sure, over the course of my life, I've said terrible things and probably still do. Just, you know, When you say the first thing that comes out of your head, it's often something that's a bit, mm. a bit foolish or not very well thought out. It's the same with um, not really knowing what
0: depression is. Yeah. I mean, I I know now. I've said some things that I shouldn't have said, mm-hmm. but I it's from reading about it because mm-hmm. I'm quite a fixer. Like if something breaks, yeah. I want to fix it. Yeah, that's yeah. just my personality trait. Like if something goes wrong at work, I that, that's what makes me good at certain mm-hmm. things. But when a friend comes to you saying I'm feeling like this, my initial reaction is like right, okay, so what should we do? It's like now I know. Mm-hmm. Like giving advice is sometimes the worst
1: thing. It's yeah, it's really hard. I mean, sometimes you think well. Uh, I try to just chill out until I know someone wants the advice when I'm Mm -hmm. with someone you know sometimes they just want you to listen it's quite funny actually because um my husband sometimes he would just like as he says he'd like to have a beer and a moan (laughs) (laughs) I love that it's like you know what you're gonna get (laughs) yeah and but of course I'm uh yeah I'm often a little bit impatient and I'm also I'm sort of trying to and he did actually say to me recently he was not even getting the beer. He was moaning about something in our personal life and I felt very impatient with him uh, because he was complaining about it and I just started saying to him you know but I think you know really we just need to be grateful for the bigger picture and blah 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 and he sort of said to me like I don't need you to tell me chapter eight of your book I just wanted to and I thought oh yeah that's that's really true I've just absolutely stepped into the big pitfall there yes. of absolutely ignoring my own advice and basically just telling him to shut up because yes. I don't I don't have time to listen to the flat you know he wanted to express to me that he was sort of feeling bad about something and I kind of didn't have time for him so I thought yeah. well done him for thought that was quite smart I don't just want to put just don't regurgitate your book at me
0: <laughs> I don't want your bullet points <laughs> oh that's so funny I know it's the same with me sometimes people are like why are you trying to give me advice like in my industry at work that you know nothing about and I'm like yes that's that's true why am I why am I even trying mm-hmm. um but I read uh Sheryl Sandberg's book recently option b mm-hmm. and um there was one bit in it that kind of really made sense for me in yours as well when when you said that uh some people would cross the street Mm. to avoid talking about something and in her book there's a bit where she says that some people wouldn't mention it when her husband died um at work because they didn't want to remind her yeah and she was like i don't need reminding of that um and so i couldn't believe that some people might not say anything but then i also thought i kind of get it you'd be too scared to say something but
1: that's think, the worst yeah, thing I think people
0: often feel embarrassed
1: but of course I, you can kind of also slightly see can't you how it happens but yeah I think it's funny that like I didn't want to remind you about it it's like, yeah, don't worry I haven't forgotten mm-hmm. um but I think people do behave people do can behave very strangely I mean we, we all only have a limited amount of we have a limited amount to give don't we so I think that's that's what I try to think now when I think back and Um, rather than sort of judging the people that were a bit Mm. peculiar. I think, well, they probably had... And again, they probably had stuff of their own going on Mm. that I didn't necessarily know about, you know. Or just weren't very... You know, we can be clumsy and cack-handed around people, I Mm. guess. This is why this book's so good, because I think you could read...
0: You only need to read a section of the book to to think, oh, okay, it's the same with, like, Matt Haig's book Mm -hmm. reasons stay alive there's there's bits of that where i thought that's really impacted the way i treat people in the future and it's only a little nugget but it's it stays with me but i love how much you talk about therapy as well Mm. because um i feel like in america it's it's like going to the dentist Mm -hmm. over here i think i hope we get to that point yeah i hope we get to the point where it is just everyone has it because i i mean i was reading something the other day about an article about how actually if you've got a therapist you're then your personal relationships might not be as strained as well that's so true because you're not yeah. expecting for them to be your therapists. yes um was that uh, important for you to kind of just really normalize it in the Because you just mention it all the way through really
1: well i do and again it's something that i've never done for you know that like we talk about social media i've never on social media said like even when i've BRB been on twitter a lot the, like you yeah, know, yeah yeah off to my therapy now because it's just felt again it doesn't feel the right medium for me but and i don't quite know and then somebody might if somebody says, "Why are you having therapy I don't have the spe you know all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff, so, but in the book, I wanted to be able to be really open and clear about therapy because I've had loads and I mean and thank you know i'm glad and grateful for it uh, and I continue to have it i'm having it I'm having it now, and it is good, and I do think it means I do have a better chance of having better relationships with the people that are close to me precisely because I'm not asking more from them than they capable of mm. apart from mm. anything else Um I also think it's uh, loads of good things about therapy including I think it sends an important message to yourself that you think you are worthy of help um, and you're willing to do the work and I, mean, I sort of quite enjoy it but that doesn't mean it's not hard work mm-hmm. I mean it'd be easier to be under a table somewhere drunk but then that's also not i no longer want to be under a table drunk rather than going to therapy so that's obviously Mm -hmm. a very good development in itself probably no large part due to my very good therapist and i think that obviously not everybody can access it and of course provision is really tricky i tried to be really careful about that in the book i want to kind of normalize the notion of it but equally i'm aware that not everybody could if they wanted um but i think if you can then it's something you should and i think um well and then if you've got kids you see once you've one of the reasons why people find it difficult f- to have therapy I think partly it's the stigma and it but it's also it's because it seems a bit selfish whereas as soon as you've got kids really any work you do on yourself is a gift to your kid and I think that mm-hmm. sometimes we're so worried about doing anything nice for ourselves as I was saying mm-hmm. to a friend to my friend of mine recently like um that you know I know you think that would be a self-indulgent thing but maybe that would be quite nice for your mm-hmm. kids if you sorted that out and she was like Oh, yeah, it would be. Maybe it would be. So I it's like the a... whole put the mask on yourself
0: first yes, thing exactly. on the aeroplane. Yeah, the like you can't, thing. You yeah. can't help anyone unless you're okay. Yeah. But it it was also interesting what you said about... I mean, the whole thing is, like, really self-aware because I feel like everything you say, you're kind of like... I I, I know that I'm coming from one perspective, for mm. example. When you say how, actually... And we're both lucky in this respect that we work in this industry mm. where we're really open, I think... We're, we're people who like writing. We're very, I guess, in touch with our feelings, and like now we're having this really nice conversation. And I was thinking, God, this this book and also the conversations throughout therapy um, must be really important for people in like really highly strung
1: jobs where they actually ha- they can't be themselves well I think so yeah and I was really careful in the book to make it clear that I, I sort of know how privileged I am that I can be open and also that actually I am privileged that I can be open but it's still terrifying I'm still utterly terrified by th- I, I mean I think I think it's worth it for me but I completely get if I was in other situations um, I'm not sure I would be anywhere near so honest and I, if I was in situations I mean I think the whole notion of Um, trying to be honest about your mental health if you say worked in an industry that was very high pressure and if you just had a horrible boss or something I mean I wouldn't Mm -hmm. want to throw that into the mix Mm -hmm. so I think it's just and again I'm not saying people shouldn't I just I just feel very aware to be in quite a privileged situation that I can that I can choose Mm -hmm. to do it and I don't want I just didn't want anybody to feel bad if they think if, if they felt if they thought like well there's no way I could do that because my existing problems would only get worse if you know power is really important in it i think it's it it, it it's who has power over you
0: yeah. and if
1: and na- navigating all that kind of stuff i just think is very tricky and i didn't at all want to be a um you know oh, i write books so therefore you know it's all right it's easy for me to, you know
0: that kind of thing i thought it was just an interesting point because like you know that thing in the news the other day well not in the news i think it was just on stylist magazine um about someone who said to her boss i'm having a mental health day mm-hmm. um I need to just take the day off I'm not ill but I am ill Mm -hmm. you know Uh, sorry that I'm not classically sick but I am I am mentally not well today and her boss replied like the CEO emailed back just saying thanks for being honest and you know let's make this like a cultural company policy and I just thought why should it just be certain industries where we can be well, exactly, like that? Well, yes. exactly, and, and I just, I think it's a really, it was a really good point.
1: Yes, and I think there should be lots more of it. But of course, whether or not yeah. you personally feel you can be the one mm. <laughs> to bring about the change very much depends on what you personally yeah. feel you're able for, I yeah. think.
0: Do you feel though that a lot of people come up to you at events and, and feel really quite close to you? Because I think after reading your first book yeah. and and this one, I just felt like you do feel like you know you really well.
1: Yeah but I would say that would be true. So I honestly think that anybody that's read both books and actually anybody that's read the first book does know me better than anyone who's only kn- that only knows me in real life mm. because I'm actually I'm much realer in my books than I am in real life. So I think it is actually I think it's fairly true. Obviously it sort of stops you know my first book I finished writing it in remember now December 14 or something oh, really? so it's so so I do feel people, it's like people do know me they just haven't seen me for a couple of years mm, yeah.
0: um,
1: and then of course with the second book because my intention was to be helpful in some ways it's not it's not it's difficult to explain it's not quite that it's a less honest book, but it's a less complete book so there are things I left out of it not because I didn't really want to share them but because I didn't think it would be helpful to share them so it, it's, I was I was trying to, ev- everything in my second book is through the filter of could this be useful for someone else to know, Yeah. Um, so again so the intention was different, but I like meeting well again, it's, as long as they like me it's <laughs> pretty horrible meeting someone that's read your book and just wants to tell you off about the swearing but <laughs> they do they do know me really. and then It kind of course, cuts out all the small talk, it's just like straight in kind Oh of. yeah, and that bit's quite exciting and it's quite yeah. funny now when I meet people and then, when I meet new people now who don't know anything about me it's a bit weird i've got very used to meeting new people where they've read my books i don't know anything about them i've got used to navigating that because it's like we've got half a friendship they've got their half but yeah but now it's a bit weird when i meet i just meet new people who don't know anything about me at all and and they then their ask questions and i'm really bad now uh when they say like what do you write books about and i completely just don't quite know what to say because then it's back to the whole well this thing happened to my brother Anne. you mm-hmm. know and all this oh, again back to the i've sort of lost the habit of being able to tell the basics of the story in a normal way like yeah. you would do if you were just a civilian person and not a writer mm-hmm.
0: oh well thank you so much i could literally talk to you for like eight hours oh, it's been it chatting yeah it's to been so really nice well thank you so much i know that you've got a busy schedule i've been wanting to get you on the podcast yeah. for ages so finally it's happened
1: thank you thank you for having me